This is your host, Nick Riley, and you're listening to the One Day Advice Podcast. Together, we're going to take a ride inside the world of personal finance. I'm going to give you a fully transparent, behind-the-scenes look into the financial services industry, helping you to optimize your financial life along the way. In this episode, I'm going to take a deep dive into DeFi, or decentralized finance. It's a topic that I'm not only passionate about, but can directly relate to because of my own frustration with traditional financial services companies that led me to start my own financial planning and wealth management company, One Day Advice. I'm going to explain to you why you should care about DeFi, what it is, and how you may be able to take advantage of this growing technology. So why should you care about DeFi? Well, do you currently use a bank? (laughs) This one's obvious, uh, I know, but I'm guessing you do. And do you love your bank relationship? Do you feel like they have your best interest at heart? Are you excited about receiving 0.1% interest on your hard-earned savings? Do you gladly pay the fees that they charge uh, for overdraft fees and transaction fees? Uh, If you're a business owner, do you love paying a 3% fee for all of your credit card transactions? Well, if your answer is no to any of those questions, then you should probably care a great deal about DeFi. So what is DeFi? And essentially the main focus is on the concept of decentralization versus centralization. The current financial system is centralized, meaning that there are banks, governments, and entities that control the way money is accessed and used. A decentralized financial system, on the other hand, means that all the users of the system have equal access and control over their own money. For instance, if you want to take out a mortgage today, you'll have to choose a specific lender. You then have to go through an entire underwriting process in order to get approved for that loan. This can take weeks and a heck of a lot of manpower. Once you've chosen a lender, you're stuck with that lender and would have to repeat the whole process over again if you were to change or even refinance down the road. Through decentralization, you control your own digital assets and can easily connect to any digital bank or service instantly. And the proof of your funds are validated on the blockchain and you're able to access and use those funds however you please without having to go through a traditional bank for approval. This process allows you to easily make transactions or borrow funds instantaneously, unlike the current ACH uh, wiring or loan process today. And fundamentally, DeFi is a competitive marketplace of decentralized financial applications that provide foundational financial needs, such as exchange of currency, uh, saving, lending, and tokenization. And with the rise of this technology, centralized institutions will no longer be needed for basic financial actions. In DeFi, you can be your own bank and get credit from code on a blockchain, no institution required. Now, DeFi, like the internet today, will likely make financial services not only cheaper, faster, and more secure, but also more personalized. And you know who wouldn't want that? Of course, besides the people that currently benefit from making loads of money from the current system, of course. Now I'd like to take some time to explain the five key problems of the centralized financial system. And this will help you better understand the importance of DeFi uh, as it disrupts the traditional financial system as we know it. And so according to Campbell Harvey, 
uh, and his book called DeFi and the Future of Finance, there are five key problems to centralized financial systems. One being centralized control, uh, two, limited access, three, inefficiency, uh, four, lack of interoperability, and five is non-transparency. And let's briefly touch on each of those and how DeFi can help solve them. So the first problem we're going to discuss is through centralized control. Well, I already touched on this earlier. It's helpful to note that the four largest U.S. banks have a 44% share of insured deposits compared with 15% in 1984. Most consumers and businesses deal with a single localized bank, which controls rates and fees. Switching between them uh, or adding more is possible, but it can be very costly due to all the fees involved and uh, adds more complexity to your financial life. The second problem is limited access. Today, 1.7 billion people are unbanked, meaning that they don't have a current banking relationship. And that makes it very challenging for them to obtain loans and to operate in the world of internet commerce. Furthermore, many consumers must resort to payday lending op operations to cover liquidity shortfalls. So like payday loans and, and that type of industry has really uh, done well uh, with people who are not able to pay for their expenses and need a form of a short-term loan that allows them to uh, write, you know, pay their bills on time. And being banked, however, does not guarantee access. So, for example, a bank may not want to even bother with a small loan that a new business requires. Instead, it may suggest a, a credit card loan, which carries with a, a borrowing rate of well above 20%. Per year, uh, which is a high hurdle for finding profitable investment projects if you're a small business. And even you know, larger businesses have to struggle with this concept as well. Third problem is inefficiency. For those who know me well, they have probably heard a rant or two about current inefficiencies that exist, specifically ones that could be fixed if it weren't for people who had a vested interest in keeping them inefficient. But I digress. The point is, the current system is largely inefficient. One example is the credit card interchange rate that causes consumers and small businesses to lose up to 3% of every transaction's value with every single swipe due to the payment network's pricing power through oligopoly. And you know, remittance fees are 5 to 7% even. So the, the few players in the the payment processing space, they're able to control these rates uh, and have, have pricing power over that. And in addition to all this, time is also wasted through various settlement periods in which ownership is officially transferred. This applies to stock ownership when investing or transferring money from one account to the other in the form of an ACH payment. And this process can take days. And other inefficiencies include Costly transfer fees, brokerage fees, lack of security, and the inability to conduct microtransactions. A good example of a microtransaction is uh, buying uh, individual like stocks. So if you want to buy one share of Amazon today at roughly $3,300, well, if you don't have $3,300, uh, you would not be able to, and many custodians, be able to buy a fraction of a share. And so those microtransactions are not able to be processed uh, with many uh, financial technology companies or traditional companies today. 
And in the current banking system, uh, deposit interest rates uh, remain very low and loan rates high because banks need to cover their brick and mortar costs. Uh, There's a lot of overhead that, in my opinion, is unnecessary in in many cases that, uh, you know, that is why you're paid so little in interest, but charged so much in borrowed interest via your credit card or any personal line of credit, your mortgage and all that. And the insurance industry provides another example through all their fees and commissions. So yes, those fees and commissions have been reduced due to uh, pressure uh, and more education in that space. You know, commissions used to be more than 10%. Now they're, you know, they're 7%, maybe less for a lot of insurance products. But there's still a lot of room for improvement around that. The fourth problem is lack of interoperability. So in other words, it lacks interconnectivity and uh, moving money from one institution to another can be a lengthy, costly, and complicated process. Uh, Examples of this include ACH transfers, as I already mentioned, uh, 401k rollovers. I live in that world a lot. If you aren't rolling over a 401k to the same custodian that that 401k is hosted through or custodied by, then it's going to be a long, lengthy process. You uh, will have to take a, receive the 401k funds in the form of a check. Uh, so you might not be uh, able to be invested during that period of time. So it's always important to expedite that, uh, that check delivery to you. But the point being that, that with technology today, why would, why do we still have to receive a check in the mail from a 401k rollover in order to deposit with another custodian when you can do that with other similar types of things uh, instantaneously. And refinancing is also another example of this, where you have to choose a single institution and uh, just the underwriting process can be very, uh, very lengthy and can vary between one lender to another. The last problem uh, or the fifth problem that is mentioned in the book is non-transparency. And bank customers have very little information on the financial health of their bank and instead must place their faith in the limited government production of FDIC insurance on their deposits. And of course, that comes at a cost. And further, it is difficult for them to know if the rate they are offered on a loan is competitive. Uh, There are marketplaces creeping up where you can go online and understand the the general sense of a refinance uh, market or a mortgage market with regards to an arm, a 15-year fixed, a 30-year fixed. But uh, for the most part, like you have to choose a single lender to actually go through the underwriting process. You would have to select another lender and go through their full process uh, separately. And a lot of people don't shop around like that because of the extra hassle. And it's not a very transparent process. So if you, for instance, get a few different lenders competing against each other, all of a sudden you find out that, oh, they actually do have some more uh, ability to give you better rates that you weren't going to get before, but only because you shopped around. So why why can you not get the best rate possible without having to shop around? Uh, that There should be a level of transparency there. And that is one of the biggest issues around a centralized financial system. And although the 
consumer insurance industry has made some progress with financial technology services that offer uh, you know lowest price options for you know, term insurance, for instance, uh, term life. Uh, you know the loan market is also very fragmented and and yet competing lenders all suffer from the system's inefficiencies. So all of these traditional financial systems are uh, lacking and they are suffering because of the inefficiencies that are in place due to a full centralized system. And the result is that the lowest price still reflects legacy brick and mortar and bloated back office costs. So even if you're going through an online marketplace, you're still using you know, larger name lenders, larger name insurance companies that all have legacy brick and mortar costs and you know, large overhead costs built in uh, to sustain those prices. So if you remove those, that unnecessary overhead, in theory, that should reduce the overall rates that you get on uh, insurance premiums, and it should reduce the rates that you receive on uh, mortgage or loan estimates. And of course, this goes with that without saying uh, that DeFi has the potential to solve all of these problems, and I'll explain why. The biggest reason is blockchain technology. So the backbone of DeFi is blockchain technology. I won't spend too much time explaining this, but essentially it provides a way of validating transactions and ownership. Of course, there are a lot of use cases for the blockchain, but for this episode, we will focus on its role for cryptocurrency and smart contracts. Cryptocurrencies are made possible by blockchain technology that allows people the capability of storing and facilitating transactions across the globe in real time with no intermediaries or censorship. Transactions are cryptographically secured and transferred, and a simple way to visualize it is to imagine a, a Google Sheet that is shared with the whole world. Uh, so fully full transparency, you know the transactions that are on the chain, uh, and you know, maybe another example would be an advanced or pure form of Wikipedia, where truth and accuracy ultimately wins out to the knowledge of the whole community. Yes, in the early stages of Wikipedia, you, anyone could go in there and edit information. Uh, I saw a lot of little pranks in there back in the day, but ultimately they were able to move towards, you know, someone else will edit that and make it more accurate. So ultimately truth wins out in uh, the, that Wikipedia example. And with the blockchain, with all the validators that you have on chain to be able to validate various transactions, uh, Ultimately, the accuracy will win out and the truth will come out as far as all those transactions are uh, self-regulated. And Bitcoin is the original cryptocurrency, but there are many more that offer other benefits, uh, other utilities or enhanced functionality. In addition to cryptocurrencies, the one of the utilities and benefits of some other cryptocurrencies are the fact that they incorporate smart contracts. Now, smart contracts are another fast-growing form of use for the blockchain, as they are the foundation of decentralized applications, otherwise known as dApps. And if you're familiar with Excel, a smart contract is an advanced form of an if-then calculation. Or an easier way to visualize it is through the use of a vending machine, because I know we've probably all used one at some point in our life. If you put in a dollar, it validates that it's in fact a dollar and gives you the option to choose your drink or snack of choice. 
you make your selection and the machine delivers to you your choice based on your selection made. And this is, of course, an incredibly efficient process as opposed to walking into a convenience store for the same item. Uh, Of course, that comes with its downsides where if you wanted a Coke, but you selected Pepsi, uh, you can't go back and change that. Whereas if you walked into a convenience store, you would be able to, in all likelihood, uh, tell the, the, the cashier that you made a mistake and you'd like to swap, swap it out and they can make that happen for you. So uh, obviously there are, are downsides to where decentralized finance is at today, but there's massive strides being made in this space and for certain types of transactions and types of use cases these smart contracts will make uh you know incredibly efficient machines and processes to be able to uh, facilitate you know a lot of the things that we're used to today in a much more efficient manner and essentially a smart contract you know performs whatever it has been programmed to do and does so with the utmost efficiency so uh, as long as that's programmed, you you program it once and the rules are set and you can continue to use that repeatedly. So I do want to spend a little bit of time just talking about some of the flaws to the blockchain. I already touched on a few of those, but I, I want to be clear in stating that while blockchain technology performs its functions with great efficiency, it is not a perfect system and has its own flaws. Uh, its Its flaws are why many people have been slow to initially adopt. And like any new technology, early adopters are always the most willing to put up with imperfections and instead use it for a specific purpose. And with time, the technology improves and thus gains more validation and acceptance by a broader audience. And this is exactly what we're experiencing today. The most obvious flaw is its inability to be overridden or edited. You know, real world Examples include the one I already mentioned, where you you get a a Coke instead of a Pepsi from the vending machine. Uh, You can't just ask the vending machine to to replace that for you. Uh, And you'll you'll have to accept your choice and uh, or you can cough up another dollar in this scenario. And if you were the unfortunate beneficiary of a fraudulent charge or a scam, on the other hand, uh, you with DeFi, you wouldn't necessarily be able to dispute the charge through Visa and have them remove it for you, or you wouldn't be able to call up customer service for a refund. That is the whole point of decentralization is that there is no centralized control. uh, And of course, that does come with its downsides when it comes to you calling up customer service, even though you know, most of us don't like our interactions with, interactions with customer service or uh, you know, trying to you know, deal with fraudulent claims through our Visa credit card, but ultimately they can make that right. Whereas with a smart contract, you can't go back and, and edit that. And I think there will be changes made to uh, ease more into like a, a bridge between decentralized and centralized finance. Uh, but the technology is just so, so early stage right now. And this leads me into the final thought I'd like to leave. And it's the concept of becoming your own bank, which which DeFi allows you to do. DeFi and the blockchain technology behind it allows you the ability to ultimately become your own bank. 
Yes, you will have to take your own responsibility over your own actions and choices, but in doing so, it will open so many doors of opportunity for you. Opportunities include higher interest on your cash through earn accounts, easy access to loans at very affordable rates, increased income sources, both passive and active, like providing liquidity to exchanges and protocols, a significant appreciation of wealth through direct ownership of digital assets. Of course, uh, this is not a recommendation to go out and buy cryptocurrencies. Uh, you should do your own research on all of this, but the opportunities just listed are are out there and available today for those that are willing to put in the work, put in the time uh, to understand this landscape. And there are you know, so many different ways to make money inside of DeFi. Uh, I have a lot of strategies that I implement myself and have helped other clients implement as well. So, so regarding the concept of being your own bank and becoming your own bank, uh, one thing I'd like to point out too is that you know if you ever wonder why most sports stadiums are owned by banks or insurance companies, well, it's because they uh, are profiting significantly off of your own hard-earned savings, while most of the time offering very little to you in return. So things like charging huge fees and commissions, offering very little interest on deposits, charging high interest rates on loans, monetizing your data, and the list goes on. That's the honest truth and also one of the main reasons I started my own financial planning and wealth management firm four years ago now. I've worked for the bigger financial institutions and saw the unjust, the unfair, and wrongful practices that exist only for the benefit of the institution itself. I'm excited about the rise of financial technology and decentralized finance, as I believe that it has the potential to provide more equitable and transparent financial services that can benefit all people, rather than the powerful few who profit from the current system. So it's really important to understand the fact that, that yes, you can delegate your personal finances to a bank, to an insurance company, uh, and through all these various products, but you are giving up a lot in return for that. And for those who are willing to put in the time and effort to understand this space and become your own bank, uh, you can start making the money that the bank charges you rather than be charged that same money. And you can profit from other people's transactions uh, just like the bank does today. So there's so much potential in DeFi and I really hope this episode was helpful for you. And I encourage you to reach out to me if you'd like to learn more about how you can leverage this technology today and take more control over your finances. One Day Advice was built to help people build, manage, and preserve their wealth through this digital age. And we are on a mission to provide people with more clarity and confidence around their finances. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode. Sources used for this episode included many online articles, as well as two books in particular, one being The DeFi and the Future of Finance by Campbell Harvey and others, and another book called Blockchain Bubble or Revolution, The Future of Bitcoin, Blockchains, and Cryptocurrencies by Neil Mehta. Hi, I'm Nick Riley, the founder of One Day Advice. If you like what you've heard, we'd greatly appreciate your help in spreading the word. After all, we are financial educators, not marketers. Thanks for listening and remember to leave us a review. Nick Riley is the founder of One Day Advice, an independent fiduciary and fee-only registered investment advisor. 
Nick serves as a wealth advisor and educator to his clients. All opinions expressed by Nick and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of One Day Advice. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment or financial decisions.